0: welcome to the executive minds podcast turning good intentions into reality in your career business and life here's your host david farmer hey everybody want to thank you so much for taking the time to join the executive mind podcast today this is david farmer and i'm very excited to actually have a good friend of mine cindy Filer is joining me. Cindy uh, has her own business that she'll tell us a little bit about, Innovative Outsourcing, but she also has a lot of experience working with Atlanta's hometown and favorite airline, Delta Airlines. And uh, I'll tell you how uh, Cindy and I actually got to know each other uh, years ago uh, but Cindy, welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast.
1: Thank you. So glad to be here today and get to chat with you.
0: Yes, she gets, She listens to it too, so she knows a little bit about what she's getting into. Just a little. So uh, Cindy and I actually met, I got to think about how many years ago this was.
1: A lot. But
0: we both had boys that played t-ball together. How about yeah. that?
1: Crazy to so, think how long ago that was. I mean, they
0: were like five.
1: They were, and now Matt's twenty-six.
0: There you go. So 21 years.
1: A long time.
0: Yeah. So that's how we first met. And um, we get to do some cool stuff together now. Both um, Mallory, my wife and I, and Cindy and her husband, Don, uh, we work with some other couples and actually do some mentoring with young married couples. And that's something that you guys are really passionate about and actually helped orchestrate.
1: Yeah. And we're the old people. We call ourselves the mentors, but... We're definitely not the young ones anymore.
0: Well, that's, that's certainly appropriate for uh, the Executive Minds podcast. It's part of uh, what we call Mentor now, so that works. Um, you've got a great story about how you went through some transition in your own professional life, and I thought we might set the table by just having you tell us a little bit about uh, your own professional journey.
1: Yeah, it's um, one of those journeys that you never think you're going to take. You kind of, um, I was a, I have a degree in mathematical economics from Wake Forest and just assumed that I was going to be the person that kind of climbed the corporate ladder and stayed in corporate America and lived in New York and never got married and never had kids. Um, and it's amazing how life changes sometimes. And I met my husband Don, who's awesome. And I thought, okay, I'll change that and I guess I'll. I'll. I'll live in the South because he wanted to live in the South. And um, so I started working for Delta Airlines after college and was in HR for them. Um, With a mathematical economics degree, they put me in HR. And I remember being really angry that they put me in HR because I thought, why would I have this degree and be in human resources? Um, But then I later found out that HR was going very data driven. um, And it was a great spot for me. And it's been a great career. But um, I was in I was at Delta for a while and actually helped start the HR division for one of their subsidiaries called WorldSpan, which is now Travelport. And Kind of climbing the corporate ladder, enjoying it so much, thinking it was the funnest thing ever. Got pregnant with my son, Matt, after we'd been married for about five years, and then through a series of just um, decisions between Don and I, really decided to stay home with Matt. Um, I kind of fought it for a while and thought, you know, why would somebody with a background like mine and had like a career so with so many possibilities in the future stay home? Um, in fact, I think I might have said the only people that stay home with kids are the ones that aren't smart enough to get a job. In fact, I did say that, and so then <laughs> we all say things we, we might say, want
0: to take back. But yeah, hey.
1: the the interesting part about it is that the rest of my life has been serving those same people that I said that about, um, because I decided to found a company about a year later, um, helping people who wanted to stay home with their kids, yet work part-time in the careers that they loved. So I spent the last 25 years building a company called Innovative Outsourcing, where myself and and um, quite a few other people help people make a transition, um, whether they're a mom or they're a dad, or they just need to take care of a sick parent, or they just are starting a company and they want to do some part-time business, on this, part-time work on the side. Um, It allows them to create work-life balance but still have a great career. Um, Because when I was staying home with Matt for that first year, I really missed work. And so I got some opportunities with Delta and with a couple other companies to do some great part-time work. Um, and so when he was napping, I would do financial statements or HR work. And I realized there was a lifeline for me because some people just love work. yeah. And I really loved work. I also loved being home with Matt. And so it was such a lifeline for me to be able to put him down for a nap and actually do things that I felt were really helping businesses, but also kind of keeping my intellectual, I guess, capacity capacity. capacity where I wanted it to be. So it was so fun. And then I thought, why can't other people do this? And back then part-time wasn't even a word people talked about. So I would go into small businesses and say, hey, would you like a controller part-time or an HR person part-time? And they kind of looked at me funny. Um, And still it started catching on and they realized that, oh my gosh, I could have all this talent. And instead of paying him for 40 hours a week, I could pay him for 10 hours a week. And there were so many people lined up at my door and I started the company by having a three-ring binder, and in the front of it was companies that said they wanted people, and the back of the three-ring binder was women I'd met on the playground that wanted to be home and if I could find them a job. Um, and it's amazing. We've placed 1,500 people since then, wow. which has been so fun. Um, and it's just such a rewarding thing to be able to say, you get letters from these people on, you know, it's been so great to watch my kids grow up because of the job you gave me um, and little things like that. And I don't believe that everybody should be a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or, or work part-time, but for those people that did want to do that, I wanted to give them a way to do that. Those
0: 1,500 people, are they predominantly moms?
1: Um, So I would say that 90% of them are moms. Um, I would say the other 10% had different scenarios why they wanted to stay home with kids. Yeah, Um, We had one great story of a a guy that we worked with for a long period of time that was a dad that had, his wife was a big executive at IBM, and he moved down here um, so she could be an executive there, and she traveled the country, and so he decided he had twin daughters um, that were in middle school that he had kind of missed growing up and decided he was going to stay at home with them, Um, but he'd been the CEO of um, some major, large um, nonprofits and And so I paired him with some nonprofits that he became the COO for. Um, over a period of the rest of his kids' schooling until they went to college. And then we found him a full-time job as a CEO that was a full-time job. So a lot of times we're able to help people. We, about 70% of our placements are part-time and about 30% are full-time. So it's really fun to sometimes get to place them in part-time jobs when their kids are small. And then when they go to college and they have the ability to work full-time again, then we can place them as full-time people again. And a lot of times they need the extra money and want to go back to work full-time and sometimes it's really good not to have holes in your resume. Yeah. And so when they're CPAs and we've they've worked for us for five or 10 hours a week for their whole time their kids are little, it's really easy for them to find a job when they want to go back in the workforce.
0: That's interesting. So, you know, I'm listening to you tell the story and a couple of things sort of pop out. One is that we all go through seasons mm-hmm. and it may be particularly true for moms uh, in the workforce, but it's not, that's not exclusive to moms
1: exactly as right. evidenced
0: by these stories. So we all go through that too. We talked to them sometimes about how, um, there's a lot of opportunity in the niches mm-hmm. and you've figured out, Hey, this is an, a niche that I can serve. Uh, another principle is you are responding to sort of a felt need, right? You experienced it personally and know, Hey, mm-hmm. if I'm going through this, there's gotta be other people living this uh, same issue I'm. I've got.
1: Right. Yeah, I think we kind of get the ability to do full-time a lot, um, place full-time jobs. But we notice that there are so many other people placing full-time jobs um, that it's not special for anybody else. You know, when if you're a recruiter and you're placing full-time, your client kind of gets what they pay for. Yeah. Right? If you're a recruiter and it's part-time, your client gets way more than they pay for. Because most times if people are working part-time, they're working down. I have con- a controller, Georgia Pacific, who's awesome. She came to me, and she's a bookkeeper for a nonprofit. So that nonprofit, they hit pay dirt. How about that? Right. So they get somebody with a, just an explosive skill set for a little bit of money. But that, um, that same controller that took that job with a small nonprofit, two weeks after she was there, she got a, a whole – Thing of flowers from that nonprofit, and she said the whole time she'd been at Georgia Pacific she didn't get anything. Mm. Um, so there's this two-way street that it becomes a it's it becomes a win-win. you know the person takes a little bit less money, but the client gives them a lot of flexibility and it's just a it's a great not not everything you do in human resources is really fun, yeah. but this one's really fun,
0: yeah. So you've been running innovative um, resource, excuse me, innovative outsourcing I'm about said say resources because I just heard you say that innovative outsourcing for um, is it twenty years now? Twenty five. Twenty five. Okay, yeah, that's right. Matt's twenty six. Do yep. the math. Yeah, I'm not a what do you call it economic <laughs>
1: mathematical Met- <laughs> Met- economics. Me- yeah, I don't I, even do my checkbook anymore, so I, need, I don't know if I use that anymore. I need that.
0: So twenty five years innovative outsourcing, but you're still doing work with Delta.
1: Yeah. So so, so how's um,
0: that? How's that happened?
1: Yeah, I had an interesting situation. So when I left Delta all those years ago and I turned in my badge – there was something about it that I really felt like I was gonna be given back Delta. And I didn't think about it for years later, and I really only did innovative outsourcing. So my story was that when the kids were little, I would work five hours a week on innovative outsourcing. When they got to be school age, it was more like 10 or 12 hours a week. When they got to be in high school, it was more like 15 hours a week. And I had great staff around me. I've had a staff of between 10 and 20 people, and we we keep on our payroll about 60 people. And so I had all these people surrounding me because I had to go to carpool, right? So I made a hard stop and made a decision when I owned a company that I was going to only work 20 hours a week max until they went to college, because I felt like I didn't want to start a company to help people be with their kids and have work-life balance and then not be with mine. Um, So I made a hard stop. But then when the kids left and when Emily, who's our youngest, um, who's 23 now, when she left, um, I felt like I could do some other things as well. So I started being on boards and organizations um, and a lot of different boards that had asked me to be on boards. And I decided I'm not really a board girl because a lot of times it's a reporting board and I just want to get in and fix something. And so I'm not real. I'm not. That's probably not my wiring. And so anyway, you just kind of I, I was trying to decide what to do and to jump back into innovative outsourcing and work there 40 hours a week would have been great. Um, But I got a good opportunity. Um, One of the guys that I started with at Delta now is one of the senior VPs at Delta. And I just asked him, I'm like, if you ever have anybody you need to mentor or anything you need from an HR perspective at Delta, let me know. Um, And it was a couple months later, they called me and said, can you give us a some time a week. Um, We got some HR initiatives that we'd love for you to do. And so I got to go back down there and I get to do really fun things. I get to, I spend about a day, a day and a half a week down there now. And I get to, um, I just created our onboarding program for our company. We'll onboard 13,000 people through our new onboarding program this year, which will be so fun. One
0: year, 13,000 people. Yeah.
1: This year we're expecting 13,000. So we'll do this. We we have a program called B-Day Um, which is a playoff of birthday. And it's kind of their first day of their journey. And it's kind of a a full day experience. So we got to build that. And originally they told us we could only do it for a small number of people. And now we're doing it for the whole company. So it's been about a two and a half year journey. I also get to do our executive onboarding. And we've gotten to revamp how we bring in our executives all over the world. Um, And so I get to... Speak into a little bit of how we're going to give them our culture and those kind of things in their first couple of months that they're there. So get to do a lot of different new projects that maybe you can't do when you work there. But it's been it's been a really neat thing to be able to spend three or four days a week working with small businesses and their HR needs, and then spending a day and a half a week and working with a very large business.
0: Which is one of the reasons I wanted us to have this conversation and let our listeners kind of hear this. Also, not only this, this, the differential in size, small and large, mm-hmm. but you're helping people find jobs, and then you're working with this large organization, thinking about talent from their perspective as well. and yeah. so. I want to just kind of dig in and talk about a variety of issues as it relates to talent. Sure. If that's okay. Yeah. There's all kind of places where we can start, but I, I, let's maybe start from the organizational point of view, because uh, we've got folks um, who they may have their own business or they may be leading within the context of an organization. Mm-hmm. As you think about talent, are there certain Uh, principles, concepts, philosophies, you just really, that the the, the best companies do that you would encourage somebody, you got to bake them into your approach?
1: I get to spend a lot of time with a lot of different companies and that's just been a joy of what I get to do. And so Mm -hmm. I get to see what works and what doesn't work. And you get to see all the things that every year there's a new book written about something that's important. Um, or something that's not important or something you have to do for your talent or something that's going to motivate or, you know, how do how do we make everybody happy? Um, and it kind of comes down to the manager. Okay. I mean, I think that is, to me, the, over the test of time, it's people stay. Um, so they retain, they want to hire into a place with a great manager. If we could bottle that. And if we could figure out how to create managers that people want to work for and that people will run through the wall for, that's what makes successful workplaces.
0: What do the best managers do? Because, you know, everybody says, hey, people, that's the most important mm-hmm. part of our business. It's, kind of, it's, it's sort of boilerplate. But, yeah. But the ones that are really, really good, what do they do that the others don't?
1: They give their people attention. Um, It's interesting. I was just reading in this book and I was actually, I'm about to do the speech for a group of CEOs and there's been a study done by the Gallup organization and it is what creates employee engagement. And it's interesting how it all came, comes down to the manager, but most people think that Um, Managers need to give frequent feedback. So you're seeing a lot of books about how especially millennials need more frequent feedback because of, you know, Facebook likes and those kind of things. But actually, um, the study concluded that it had really nothing to do with feedback. It has to do with attention. Hmm. And so what we're finding is in the better companies – and the better managers are actually giving their employees the most attention. And then they did empirical data studies on how much attention and what type of attention is the best for employee engagement and best for keeping people happy in their positions and productive. And it comes out that if so, if you think about feedback as some positive some negative attention, but it's better than no attention yeah. right um, but if you give them positive attention it's 1,200 times the engagement possibility as if you give them no attention. I mean it's amazing what can happen if you give positive attention. So what is positive attention you know how do we how do we spend every day as a manager? thinking about what can we can do for that person I mean if you're a manager of a person you get that person for a very short period of time it could be for um, you have them for a month before they leave you it could be you have them for 20 years but at some there's a finite amount of time and so we as managers get to be stewards of those people we get to figure out they start with us at one place and they end with us at another place and what do we get to do to change them Right. How do we speak into them? How do we encourage them? How do we get them ready for their next thing? How do we get them so that they know more about themselves than they did when they got there? Mm -hmm. So if we're intentionally making those kind of positive contributions to them and their engagement is higher because they really want to work for us because they feel like we're for them and not just for the stuff that they're producing, then the studies show that they're 49% more productive for us, mm. you know? So we if we focus on the development of the individual, we get the productivity. If we focus on the productivity and then give negative feedback, we don't get the productivity.
0: So how does feedback f- figure in? If, if, if it, attention is important, I assume there's still a place for feedback in, in that context.
1: Absolutely. There's definitely a place for feedback, but it I, I talk about, those annual reviews, you know, kind of the new theory is, do you need them or do you need them every week? Or now we have apps that you can give feedback for people, you know, in 15 minutes, like every Friday, you know, so I get asked about that a lot. And I mean, even in like an annual review, if you ask the general manager what they're doing in an annual review, 90% of the time when they're in that review, whether it's a half an hour or an hour, they are giving, they are telling the employee what they do wrong Mm. and what they need to change. I mean, we should be spending the majority of that hour encouraging them with the things that they have done well, and then asking questions like, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Even if they're 55 years old or 54 years old, like I am, right? What do you want to be? How can I, how can I speak into you? What can I do? How can you do your job better? And how can I come alongside you and fix that or help you get that training or whatever? And so all of a sudden we become their person that's standing alongside them, helping them get to their goals rather than the one that's scolding them for the things that they haven't done well. And then of course you do have a period of, you know, maybe 10% of that review time should be in giving critical feedback And knowing how to give feedback because you've been a student of your person. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, there are some people that like direct feedback and some people that have to have indirect feedback. And if you're not a student, if you don't know your employee well enough to know that, if you don't have a span of control so that you have way too many employees... If you can't be a student of your employee to know exactly how to give feedback, kind of like you give it to your kids. I have two different kids, and one of them really likes direct feedback, and one of them doesn't. And so if I'm going to give them feedback the same way, they're not going to accept it well. Mm. So we really need to be a student of our people because our one goal, if we are great managers, is to successfully steward our people to be successful.
0: Listening, I'm I'm reminded of a couple of resources. One is Marcus Buckingham's Strength Finder concept, Mm -hmm, and I think that's when I really learned focus on the strengths, not trying to shore up the weaknesses. That's where you're going to get the better return. Right. It doesn't mean there aren't weaknesses that may be so far below the acceptable line that you got to get them up. Right. But it's not where you're going to add the most value. You got to leverage leverage the strength. And then you talked about the 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 leader that's interested in the dreams of the of the team member, I, um, Matthew Kelly. Yep. I think it's called the dream maker, but I may be wrong about that. But I love that concept when somebody takes an interest. And that may not just be as it relates to the the work they're doing. Right. Some of those dreams may be broader than that. But
1: Well, and it could be, or it could be something um, where, where you come to how good of a manager are you yeah. is when their dream is something that you're not going to be able to give them. Right. And do you still speak into that?
0: And can you, you help still broker help in some way?
1: Right. Or do you hold them so tightly because you think, oh, you're my best salesperson. I never want her to go. So I'm just going to hold on really tight and I'm not going to help them with their next step because that creates pain for me. You know, all of a sudden people see that.
0: So when you talk about attention and taking a genuine interest, I don't think you're implying just pandering to the employee, though.
1: Never. Right. You know, uh- we... Um, I'm a big fan of having high bars and making sure we hit them, right? Yes. But we are coming alongside them. If you think about, we are helping them over the bar rather than saying there is no bar, right? Or rather than saying you keep not hitting the bar, so therefore you're a bad employee, right? I mean, we should all be, you know, as managers of people, we should always be thinking that people are in one of three lists, Right, So we have list A, which is if somebody comes to me with a resignation letter and says, I'm having to resign, I am devastated. Right, mm-hmm. It's like the worst day ever. I close the door and I basically cry and I think I'm never going to be able to get by without this employee. Um, list C is the, I get the resignation letter and I close the door and I cheer and we go out at night because boy, this person's been a tough employee. And list B is really where the bulk of your employees are, which is in a bell curve, which is about 85% of your employees will be in list B, which means they're good employees. They do what they are supposed to do. But we should always be making sure that our top employees, we are doing like individual retention plans for. How do we keep them? How do we keep them happy? How do we help them? And then our list C, which is our ones that um, really aren't making the grade, either we're moving them from with training into list B, which is where most employees are, which is a good yep. employee list, or we're moving them out. Yep. So we never really tolerate a low bar Yep. because when you tolerate a low bar as a manager, everybody else sees that.
0: Yeah, that's and that that's a drag on the culture.
1: A terrible drag on the culture, and I see that a lot in small business. Um, in small business, um, a lot of times you don't get the great feedback you're supposed to get because in small business people are scared to lose somebody so a lot of times they deal with talent that's not good and just leave them there and that is the worst thing they can do
0: so back to your uh, a b and c list mm-hmm. you got 85% that are probably in that middle bucket you're trying to help them really kind of get over that bar how do you allocate your time because it may not it, it may not match the distribution of the employees in the a b c buckets right Right. You're going to spend disproportionate time where?
1: Well, you know, you really should be um, spending your time with all of them. You're going to be carefully, um, you're going to naturally spend more of your time with your top ones. Because let's say you have a sales team. Let's say you have a sales force of 100 people. Let's say the people that report to you are 10 people. But you always have two people that make the best deals, right? So when you get the best accounts, you're going to give it to the people who make the best deals, right? So sometimes we overwork those people, right? So we've got to be careful of that because we usually overwork our best performers and that's the reason a lot of small businesses um, see their best people leave is because they were overworked and nobody even knew, right? They're not paying attention to that. They're not asking that question during that um, attention, during that feedback on, am I overworking you? Are you okay? Is there anything I need to do for you, right? Because those are their best performers. So you are usually... Putting a lot of effort into that. If you did a survey of managers, they would say that the majority of their time are spent with their worst performers. Yeah. Right? Because they're having to correct mistakes, they're having to go back over things. That's why those performers, instead of spending time um, on them, they should be either spending time making them better or exiting them from yeah. the company.
0: Yep. If we flip this around a little bit and don't come at it from the viewpoint of, um, what makes me want to be in an organization? What, you know, this idea that I want to work for a manager that gives me a lot of attention. If I'm um, the manager, what are the kinds of folks I really want on my team? What are some of those characteristics that are likely to have somebody on that in, in that good bucket anyway?
1: Well, not plugging any one book, but I'm a huge ideal team player, Patrick Lencioni person. In yeah. fact, when I talk to somebody who doesn't hire a lot, I give them that book because it talks about looking for people that are hungry, humble, and smart. And hungry meaning they want to challenge, they want to better themselves, they are looking to improve themselves. You know, those, it's something you can't fix, right? If somebody's just complacent and doesn't care if they do a good job, you just can't hire them, right? And you can't fix them, right? You're not going to create that hunger. So you have to look for that. So interview questions and those kind of things that could create that knowledge of whether they're hungry or not is really important. Hungry, that's the first one. Humble is the second one. And humble is, to me, it is just somebody who will put the team first Mm. and not put themselves out. And so that doesn't mean somebody who's non-confident. That's not what that means. I'm a huge fan of confidence, but it means somebody that is not all out just for himself or herself. Trying to
0: manage their career. Yeah. Everything's a career move.
1: Everything's a career move because then the company and the goals of the company are second to how they're going to look. Yep. Right? And so we don't want those kind of people so hungry and humble. And then smart's the third one. And it's not intelligent. Um, Of course, that would be nice. But it's do they have EQ, emotional quotient? Do they know themselves to lead themselves? Right? So do they know what it's like on the other side of them? Do they have the relational capacity to make things happen? Yeah. Um, and these days, eighty percent of people are actually losing jobs or getting jobs not because of skill set, but because of emotional quotient.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's that's awesome right there. So humble, hungry, and smart. We'll put that on the show notes. But yeah. if you've not read Pat Lencioni's book, Ideal Team Player, there you go. Put that on your list.
1: It's a keeper. In fact, Don, my husband, Don works at Delta and he works with our pilots. Um, and they, were, um, they decided to do some book studies in their um, staff meetings just to teach some people things. They have a bunch of interns and co-ops that they work with. And um, we actually had him do Ideal team player as a work lunch book and they did it for a, about a month every week and it's an amazing book not only for people that are hiring but it's also you can um, look at your own team and see if they're hungry humble or smart and it makes the people that work there think hmm this is what I'm going to be evaluated on and I this love is it. what I'm going to be looked at
0: we need Don's book list too so get Don to send that to me I will and then we can post that as I will. well there's
1: some there's some good ones that he's doing with his co-ops.
0: I want to ask you kind of a, a big HR issue mm-hmm. or question. What are some of the big issues that organizations are having to wrestle with as it relates to talent? Um, it may be maybe it's something that's just been around for a long time or something that's sort of new and emerging. Um, but are there things that you find they pop up on a regular basis and and we need to we need to figure out how we're going to handle some of those issues.
1: Yeah, right now it is where people work. The it's where, their the, environment. okay um, It's the work location flexibility. I'm hearing it all over right now. It's not only if they get to work from home, how many days they would get to work from home. used to be people were like, no, nobody can ever work from home. And then some companies went to all work from home and there's productivity issues supposedly. And so where's that balance? And then for those people that work on site at a company, it's what that workplace should look like. Should we have the open workspace? Should we have the closed workspace? Do we need offices? You know, do we not need offices? And then how do we manage remote work?
0: Are there there's not necessarily one right answer to all of that? There's I've, not. Uh, ha, are, have there been certain things that just aren't working anywhere? Or do you just do you have to kind of get in and figure out what fits our culture, what fits fits the you type of work we of do? We kind of need to know
1: what fits the culture, but um, I think the hard part is when People have a set idea and are not willing to accept change, right? So, we still have a lot of companies that'll say, five days a week in the office, you're there 40 hours a week, or you really, we don't trust you, you're really not working, right? And so, I think. That will become more and more problematic because if more and more companies are allowing for uh, flexible work locations, um, it's going to be harder and harder to attract and retain great employees unless you're doing that, especially if you're in Atlanta with the Atlanta traffic. But I'm sure everywhere that that has a lot of traffic is like that.
0: So inflexibility on behalf of the organization or the leader is not generally gonna play well.
1: I don't think so. I think we're gonna be able to be that for a couple more years, but um more and more you're seeing that flexibility is one of the reasons people are taking jobs. And so it's one of the, you know, I look at the criteria why somebody wants to take a job and people are asking every time now when we're trying to place a person, is there any flexibility in location and in hours?
0: And I would imagine there are uh, organizations or leaders that are worried, oh, somebody's going to take
1: advantage of that. There are. There's actually some studies, and I'm not going to remember the exact percent, but I think it's 12% um, that they have found that people are 12% more productive if they can work home two days a week.
0: Wow, more productive. More productive. Why do you think that
1: is? Well, I think it's because um, if you are at home for, let's say you only work from home one day a week. Let's say it's Thursdays. Right. So you build your work days on Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays to have a lot of meetings, right? And then Thursdays, you know, you can't have a lot of meetings. So that's the time you actually get heads-down work done. Yep. We call it, you know, in in some of the work that I do, we call it kind of heads-down work, right? Yeah. You get stuff done rather than being in multitasking mode where people are walking into your office or you're, you know, getting you're in, in multitasking mode. And so by that you just get a lot more productivity because you have now set aside time on your calendar to actually do work. Yeah, um, And so that makes sense to me.
0: It makes sense to me too. Now I, I'm in an environment where the, I am in a lot of meetings and I don't have an office anymore. We right. have beautiful, wonderful spaces that I can plug into little spaces, big spaces, some of them really out in the open kind of bullpen. Some of you kind of get your own private room, even in the midst of that uh, in our culture, it's just a lot of interaction. And sometimes I right. need that head down space. So I totally relate to that. It's why I actually have, A membership at Rome, a co working facility here in Atlanta. Shout out to Peyton Day, Dave Mm -hmm. Salyers, because sometimes I need to just sort of get somewhere where people are not inclined to come speak to me because I'm on deadline. I got to get some stuff done.
1: Exactly. And, you know, for those of us, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge extrovert, so I can work around a lot of people and not yeah. have a real problem with that. But I also find that when I'm around a lot of people, I want to be around a lot of people, meaning I don't get anything done, right? Yeah. I, I, I love relating, and that's awesome, but there needs to be some work time. So it just allows them an opportunity to do that. So that does not surprise me. Also, you don't have a commute on either side, so you're probably putting in a couple more hours a day because you're not in a car. Um, so now you can't do that with every job. Yeah, But with professional work, where you trust somebody. And I would say that maybe we should trust more people than we currently do. You know, the the first thing we shouldn't think is we've put so much stock into hiring this great person and they make a fairly good salary and they have a great background. For us then, the first thing to think, oh, I can't let them work from home because I don't trust them, they may not work. That's probably not the first thing we need to think about. Yeah,
0: that you make the right selection decision, you're probably good.
1: You're probably good. Yeah. Now, if you and you don't want to just like in any HR situation There is always going to be one person that's going to abuse that, but we don't want to change the policy for everybody just because you have one abuser of it, right? Yeah. Most people will be thankful for the day that they can work from home a week. They certainly will probably work more hours for you than less.
0: Is there another issue, a workforce issue, a talent issue that maybe we're just now getting the, the initial week signal on it, but it's coming And we better get ready. We need to be prepared to have a point of view and deal with this. Something you kind of see out on the horizon? Yeah, I think
1: it's the aging workforce. Okay. Um, I think we are seeing more and more just in all kinds of companies that um, because people's 401k took a hit or because pensions don't exist anymore in most companies where they used to, people are working longer and longer. And their capabilities are going down. So they're
0: not contributing as much,
1: maybe not. Um, And so what are we going to do about that? Right. Um, Because there's a lot of evidence that there is a point of return where you don't get as much work done. And so and that's different for everybody. But with people that want to stay working for a lot of years, how are we going to handle that?
0: If I want to work for a lot of years, I mean, it's not a given that I'm not going to contribute no, as much. that's the, correct. The ones that can continue just to add value and contribute, what are they doing that others are not?
1: I mean, what are they doing physically to make that better or, you know, or, or why are they being more productive? Yeah, well, I
0: mean, and maybe physically is part of it. I think
1: they've stayed more technologically relevant. Okay. I mean... That's one answer. Um, They probably have also gotten really good at their craft or stayed good at their craft. Um, For instance, project management, right? So my husband's a project management guy, and it used to be um, they did project management one way, and now it's kind of moved in a new direction. So instead of staying in the old direction, you know, constantly... Being a student of your craft yep. and changing to the new ways of doing things, you know, changing to an agile environment and you know, changing to those kind of things, rather than saying, "Well, this is how it worked in 1990, so it's still going to work that way."
0: So maybe the big lesson, if if you are uh, advancing in your own career <laughs> and age, don't relegate all the new stuff to the young people.
1: Absolutely, that's I a mean, mistake. It is a mistake. It's a mistake technology wise, and it's also just a mistake to not. Be interested in the new trends. I mean, I am a avid book reader. I spend all of my time reading books because there's so much new stuff happening in the field of human resources. I'm fascinated by the data that's coming out, yeah. and so if I, I could, I could stay doing what we do. But I want to know what's about to happen and how we're going to fix that in my companies before it becomes an issue, right? And so there's so much new data and stuff coming out about that. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Right.
0: Love it. Well, hey, yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time to share some of this. I love that we're getting the perspective from a huge organization that's thriving and successful, Delta Airlines, but also from someone that you're an entrepreneur too. Yeah. And you see it at, at, a, at you know someone that's starting up a business. You, you're looking at it from the vantage point of someone that is managing their own personal career as well, and they're going through changes so
1: Absolutely, you Thank know it's you. it's just one of those things that different times in your life you've got to look at it and say, "What do I get to do now?" Yeah. Right, and I think you just get to constantly reinvent yourself. And I think as a mom, especially, I got to reinvent myself a couple of different times. Um, not really what I do because I'm still an HR person, but how I chose to look at work.
0: Awesome. If folks want to uh, just reach out, learn more about innovative outsourcing, or connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, our website's innovative outsourcing dot com. And they can connect with me on that website anyway.
0: Well, thank you again for uh, taking the time just to share. This has been awesome. And for those of you that are listening, we are so grateful that you kind of give up your time to do this. Would encourage you just to share the podcast with others. Feel free to get out there and give us a review as well. That'll help us well sort of build the tribe. But we're grateful for you. Hope that we're able to help you be more successful in your work. Um, and so uh, thanks again. It's been a pleasure.